Welcome to Live, Laugh, Talk. I'm your host, James Graham, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. We will start our podcast with a discussion on a very sensitive subject entitled, Where Do Labels Belong? Then we will transition to our segment, How Did We Get Here? Followed by our hobbies and special interest section, which will have a guest today looking forward to that and then conclude with our sunflower message which is our happy note for the day you're encouraged as always to share your thoughts on these subjects on our website at livelaughtalk.com or if you're listening on spotify you can add a voice memo as well as comments and participate in our poll also wherever you listen to the podcast please follow us Please, so that you are notified of new episodes when they're released. The topic that we will begin with today is where do labels belong? If we walk into any market to buy goods, we find labels everywhere. Although many are colorful and seemingly nonsensical, they have a purpose. The purpose is not only to name a product, but to give a description. Take any can of soup, friends. It will tell you, among other things, the name of the corporation who makes it, what the main ingredients are, and the nutritional value. Thank God for the label, right? Now we know what we're eating and who made our product. See, without the label, If we open a can wanting, let's just say, chicken noodle, we might get beef stew, clam chowder, or any other thing that we didn't have the taste for. Also, the label helps us to prevent an allergic reaction due to the ingredient product knowledge that it provides. Useful, huh? So useful are the labels that we may group an entire product line by the most popular label. Your mother may tell you to eat Campbell's when sick, but she just means any soup in general. Kids may ask for Kool-Aid, but any powder-flavored drink will suffice. Some teenagers will call any effervescent dark-colored drink Coke. And how many times have you been told to Xerox something when the person really meant copy? Actually, manufacturers and advertisers know the power of labels. You may recall being asked to save soup labels as a child. Well, that goal was to bring the labels to the school for items that the soup company would then provide the school based on the number of labels submitted. Now, what did this accomplish? Well, parents would buy that brand of soup for the labels. The schools would print their brand name on handouts that were sent home to the parents, notifying them of the soup drive. But most importantly, the label made the child remember that brand at an early age. Now, as adults, They probably still buy that brand of soup. I know I do. At this point, the label brings about a reaction. Yes, a familiar labeled soup 
may bring warm feelings of mom when you were sick or cold, just as a familiar label on a medicine bottle may bring about negative feelings of the ailment as well as the side effects. Now, what does all of this tell us? Well, labels are important for products. They inform, bring familiar feelings, aid in remembering, and can group product lines under one umbrella. Where labels are inappropriate are on people. None of us want to be labeled, but we're guilty of labeling others. Like products, people labeling gives a description, but what it falls short by doing is not allowing the hearer to get to know that individual for themselves. The label is used to bring familiar negative feelings and group people together adversely. It gives the hearer little information of the individual and helps put the one labeled in a colorless, counteractive light. Just recently, a friend of mine was described by a workmate as the gay guy. The gay guy is his people label. My friend, there's a lot of things that the people label, label just doesn't impart. The gay guy doesn't tell us that he is a war veteran, a child advocate, a healthcare professional, a loving parent, nor does it tell us his love for his community, that he volunteers for various things on any level. The people label doesn't even tell us his beautiful mother-given name. But to a group of others looking for reason to, to dislike him, the gay guy is sufficient. The people label groups him. It takes away his individuality. It allows us to know his sexuality, but little else. It gives a loving, caring, complex man a three-word useless description to be used only for the purpose of a familiar, albeit negative, reaction of the listener. Not long ago, a friend and I were referred outside of our names that our parents took the time and concern to mull over before writing them on our birth certificate. You see, we were labeled the black people. The label was given along with a negative stereotype. The user stated in full that the black people in the room were too loud. Our people label is the black people. This was offensive, not because I'm ashamed of my race, just as my friend is not ashamed of his sexuality. The user adopted this label to stereotype and group unfavorably. And it is this user's purpose that I personally resent. This gives us another problem with people labels. Rarely, rarely do they give us a congenial feeling. Less often 
do they uplift? For instance, why wasn't my friend labeled the beautiful, kind-hearted father? Or my friend and I labeled the faithful, loyal people? Why? It's because people labels are judgments. These are judgments placed upon us unwillingly. And unlike products, they refrain from describing what we are truly made of. Instead, they only give a limited view that the user wishes the hearer to see. In order to better the world around us, and that's the purpose of this podcast, that's its very purpose entirely to better the world around us. And in order to do that, we must seek to change ourselves. If we find we prattle to the point of hurting others by labeling, allow ourselves to remove the impulse. We will find that our world around us and our minds will be capaciously brought. Thus, we will be an asset to our friends and others. We will truly be useful and desired with our thoughts and ideas being implored and solicited by others. May we avoid the use of people labels because honestly, they have no place at all. A few years ago, a friend of the family was coming from a religious meeting. He was traveling along the highway. He checked his phone briefly for a message of where their lunch plans were going to be. He had a text message. He checked it. It was a matter of seconds. Yet, his vehicle merged into oncoming traffic, killing the driver of the car that he struck, a teenager, instantly, killed his wife, who was a passenger in his car, instantly. He died days later in the hospital. Distracted driving particularly texting, causes too many car accident deaths in this country. The statistics are overwhelming. But see, there are many ways that one can become distracted while driving. Your mind may wander to the problems that you have to face that day. You may reach for something in the passenger seat or look for something on the side of the road. Perhaps worst of all, you may try to read or send a text message, which causes you to take your thoughts, eyes, and hands away from the task of driving. If you're driving at 55 miles per hour and you take your eyes off the road for just five seconds, just five seconds to send a text, do you know how far you've traveled? 
in that five seconds, at 55 miles an hour, you will have traveled the length of a football field. There are too many fatal car accidents in those five seconds. At any given time, there's 660,000 drivers in the United States using their cell phones. Whether it's texting, taking a phone call, or sending emails, cell phone use is associated with higher rates of dangerous or fatal car crashes. Accidents involving drivers using their cell phones are avoidable. But many people put everyone's safety at risk by ignoring the laws against distracted driving. The numbers are down with deaths and accidents due to distracted driving by texting because there have been laws put in place in many states. But still, the numbers are staggering by today's standards. And the reason being is because cell phone usage reduces a driver's attention by as much as 37%. Is there anything that you would like in this world where the attention is taken away by maybe 37%? Would you like your surgeon to have his or hers attention taken away by 37% while operating on you? Of course not. A life is at risk when attention is removed that much. See, 14% of fatal crashes involve cell phones. Use of a cell phone while driving causes 1.6 million crashes each year. And drivers who text while operating a vehicle are 23 times more likely to become involved in a car accident. And if we're all honest with ourselves, if we haven't taken the opportunity to take a pledge and say, I'm not going to drive and text, or we have our phones set at default, to do not disturb while driving. If we're all honest with ourselves, we've gotten into some situations, maybe not an accident, but in seconds it could have been. You may have been sitting at a red light, looking at your phone, looking at a text. All of a sudden you hear horns blowing behind you. You look up, the light must have been turned green because cars are long gone. See, your attention was taken away. Even though you were at a stoplight, for that second, your mind wasn't there. Maybe you're driving along the road and you get a phone call. Maybe it's work or family. There's an issue. Your mind's taken away. And you're not concentrating as you should be. I can tell you I've been guilty of that. I was driving along, recognized that my car was low on gas. 
just driving along, I said, well, I'm going to stop at the next exit. I got a disturbing phone call. Now, I had the phone set on Bluetooth. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But I had it on Bluetooth. But this phone call was so aggravating. It got me so upset. I forgot all about that gas. I drove for miles. Exit after exit. No fuel in the car. Pretty soon, guess what happened? The car told me. When it ran out of gas, it stopped. Put me on the side of the road. All because I was distracted. No, nobody died that day. There was no traffic, no traffic accident of any kind. Yet, distraction caused hardship that didn't have to be if I was paying attention. See, it only takes a second. It only takes a second to take your eyes off the road and be distracted, but it can have lifelong repercussions. And texting and driving may seem innocent enough, but every year thousands of faultless drivers and passengers are killed due to the negligence of other drivers. And I know what's going on in your mind. You're thinking, these are our teenagers. Well, my friend that died wasn't a teenager. Was beyond what we would call middle age. See, these mistakes happen way too often. And if we're going to talk about teens, it's true. One in three teens in the U.S. admit to texting and driving at least once. A new study found that 58% of crashes involving teenagers were caused by driver distraction. And that's a huge problem. But you know what's even bigger? Is that teens hear their parents telling them not to text while driving. But these teens see their parents doing exactly that. See, it's hard to ask them to change their driving behavior when we can't do it ourselves, right? Yes, teens aren't the only problem. All age groups are guilty of distracted driving and texting. Parents of the millennial generation and older are all guilty of doing See, older individuals, too, can be distracted by in-vehicle technology because they may struggle with the interfaces. Maybe they're trying to change the radio station or they're trying to find where they're going, going into the navigation. Anything that distracts you from driving is a problem. But it doesn't really tell us the whole story because some of these go unreported. Honestly, if you rarely ended a vehicle on your way home tonight because you're on the phone texting, how likely are you going to be to tell the police that you caused the car accident by texting? Not going to happen. You're not going to tell that police officer, well, I was trying to find my location. I was looking for my GPS and I just ran into the back of these people. 
So what happens is a lot of this distracted driving goes unreported. So the numbers could be even higher than we can imagine. Now we're not gonna downplay it, but even at 14% of fatality, that's a large number. It pales in comparison to speeding, which causes 30% of fatal accidents, or drinking and driving, which factors in about 28% of fatalities. But yes, texted and distracted driving is still an important piece of the puzzle, yet it's only a piece. We as Americans got to be more careful when driving. It's just too many deaths that happened today before you even listen to this recording. If we were to actually announce every fatality that happens in a car on a daily basis, like what happens with airplanes, it would be 24-hour news. The number's too great. So we've got to cut back. Yes, we've got to cut drunk driving completely out. We've got to slow down with the speeding. And we also got to pay attention when driving, we can't let phone calls or text messages distract us or any use of that phone because it doesn't stop there. There are people reading books while driving or people looking for their locations or GPSs or gas stations or whatever and not pulling over. They continue to drive at a high rate of speed. But we have to ask ourselves, when we're starting to talk about 660,000 drivers attempting to use their phones while driving and causing 14% of fatal crash, we have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? For our hobbies and special interest section today, we have a very special topic that we know you will enjoy. It's about self-care. And with us, we have a guest today. So yay, finally a guest on the show. You don't have to just listen to me. So we're going to start off by talking about what self-care is. And then we want to introduce our guest and, and get into all of that. But self-care is defined by the World Health Organization as the ability of individuals, families, and communities to promote health, prevent disease, maintain health, and to cope with illness and disability with or without the support of a healthcare provider. Now, in our day and time, thank goodness, folks of every stage and age are trying their hand at combining Western medication management with Eastern medicine prevention and alternative medicine, along with a healthy dose of financial investment in themselves and protective measures for mental soundness. Now that's a lot of words that we've put together, but wanna make sure that we understand what we're talking about first. We wanna talk about what self-care is versus what self-care is not. And as we get into what self-care self is, we wanna introduce our guest, Riley. 
Riley, how are you today? I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me. Oh, we're so happy to have you on the show. We're elated. Tell us about yourself. We want the audience to know who you are. Yes, yes. Thank you. Well, I my name is Riley, obviously. I'm a college criminal justice technology student at JCC. Um, I was an SFX makeup artist for four years, which is the horror movie. Ooh. Um, Awesome. I got invited out to New York and a couple other different places to show off my talents. And then I have my pride and joy, which is my dog, Miss Maggie May. She's a year old King Corso. Beautiful. So I love her to death. But wonderful. I tell you, I love your background. Mine is in uh, cosmetology. Probably a lot of people out there don't know that part of my background. Haven't really delved into it. But uh, so my job was making people beautiful. You got to make people scared. Yes. So yes. that's that's awesome. So we both had a little bit to dabble into <laughs> just on opposite ends mm -hmm. of the spectrum. Now, a fun question for you. Fun question. We want to get to know you. What is your favorite childhood memory? I would have to say the happiest place on earth, which is Disney World. I went there a couple of times with my family. Um, but my favorite was for my fifth birthday. We went, I was terrified of all of the roller coasters, but we stayed there, <laughs> I think for a week. And by the end of the trip, I was going on um, front row by myself over and over again. So it was just, it started out as me being terrified. And at the end, I was loving them to death the happiest place on earth and i have a similar childhood memory so uh, i'm going to tell my age and mine but going mm. there for the first time i uh, was when epcot center opened mm. in 1980 so that long before you were born yes. i was nine years old and that was to me the entire uh, you know future and everything that we see today we oh, saw yeah. back in the 80s with touch screens and all of that and I was in heaven in that mm -hmm. place. And like you, I was a little scared of the Magic Mountain part oh, of it yes. and all of that. But once I got out there, again, we know why it's called the happiest place oh, on yes. earth. It truly is. So as we delve into self-care, what is self-care to you specifically? Self-care to me is more of listening to what your body needs or wants. Um, through you know meditation, sitting in nature, um, that's two of the main things that I like to do. It's just giving yourself time to reflect and heal on what you have been going through or dealt with in your past or anything like that. Mm, beautiful way to put that. Beautiful. Um, what what is its importance in your life? It helps me feel grounded and with the mental health issues that I have, it helps me take a step back and realize what's actually going on. Um, for me, my main one is anxiety. So it helps calm my anxiety. I do the four, seven, eight breaths where you breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for seven seconds and you breathe out for eight seconds. That helps reset your mind um, when hmm. it's racing and thinking so fast that you can't put a thought together. That helps a lot. Wonderful. You know, that's what I love about your generation is you're so open and you guys really focus on your mental health. Mm -hmm. and. 
we have to say that this generation is doing a much better job than the generations before. Um, and just, we're so thankful for you guys. Mm -hmm. You're teaching us. Now, how long have you been partaking in, in this? Um, I've been doing it steadily for six months. With everything I struggle with my mental health, it is hard to stick to a certain routine, which if you're not sticking to a routine is perfectly okay. You can, you know, self-care looks different for every single person. It's not going to be the same routine as, you know, from me to you. We're going to do different things. So I've been really trying to stick with it for about six months. But on and off, I've been doing it for two years. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, what do you recommend for the listening public? Everybody out there listening on this podcast, what do you recommend for them to do in this regard as far as self-care? I think it really varies person to person, I but a lot of good places to like find ideas to help with what to do with self-care. I love Pinterest. Mm, yes. They they have it put together so well. There's so many different views go towards of those type things for self-care. But if you're on the other end of a spectrum or anything else you want to do, you can just search in, you know, outside self-care and it gives you so many different ideas of what to do wow so pinterest is, is powerful yes I'm starting to really learn a lot about pinterest and other methods of social media mm -hmm. and, and 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 how it can help in our methods of self-care for me um my methods are, are really i guess basic but uh, I really like salon visits. I know that sounds like, where did he come from with that? But, you know, growing up, we always just went to a barbershop and we sit there all day and talk about baseball and basketball and football. And I, I love all of that. But that baseball, basketball, and football is not really my method of self-care. So what helped me was, as I got older, to go to salon. So we would have like these salon bids in um, the city that I used to live in, in, in Ohio. And on those salon visits, I lay on that bed and get the full shampoo and massage mm -hmm. and then a cut and, and all that. So I got spoiled with that. Mm -hmm. So now that's my method of self-care is that shampoo and massage. I also like Manny Petties. Um, I know that a lot of men out there don't do it. And we should. You know, a lot of us are nail biters like I was. and It really helps me with that. I've stopped being a nail biter. Uh, I, I like the way my nails look now, especially when I'm dressed up. It's a, it's a good look overall. I'm also into facials, uh, very relaxing for me. But as I get older, I think that it helps with my overall look because um, my father, he's 80 years old. He has no wrinkles. He's never had a facial. I think if I'm 80 years old, and I have no facials, I'm going to have wrinkles. Mm -hmm. You know, even though he's my dad, we got different skin. <laughs> and it, it has really helped in, you know, my growth to maintain a beautiful skin and imitate my father, even though I'm, I'm not quite him. And then doing something that I enjoy for a day. Like if I'm just going to just, you know, those things are planned. Mm -hmm. They have appointments. But if I'm just going to do some self-care for the day, I like motorcycling. I will get out on that, that bike of mine. You've seen it. Yeah. And I'll get out there, ride around a little bit. I may not even have a place to go. I'm, I'm riding aimlessly, but that clears my mind. And it's something that, that I can do to treat myself. And 
And so when we think about treating ourselves, Riley, how often should we do that? How often should we treat ourselves? I think it's important to treat ourselves when we're having like a bad day, you need to pick me up or something like that. But there's also no set schedule of when we should treat ourselves. I think it's more important to listen to our body and kind of see when our body needs a break or mm. when our mind needs a break. Um, I, if I have a task that I'm dreading or something that I know is going to be like mentally hard for me, I always will treat myself afterwards and have like a self-care day or, you know, do something fun, go for a walk, uh, stay outside. If it's raining, I love dancing in the rain. Mm, okay. So today was a perfect day for that with it being <laughs> all rainy and gloomy, but I loved it. Dancing in the rain. There's even a song. Yes. The dancing in the rain. I don't think I've ever done that before, but maybe I need to try it. That sounds it's relaxing in itself. So relaxing, yes. It does. Now, so in that, you already answered the next question, but it doesn't have to break our budget. To treat ourselves, do we have to break the bank? Absolutely not. No. No, no I agree. I agree. We can do something simple and fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, definitely if we start getting into places or, or into an event that's so expensive, mm -hmm. then we're not going to keep it up. Mm -hmm. So and I, also for some people spending money, it takes a tax on their mind. So mm, for them, agreed. it wouldn't be a self-care if they're having to spend money. So they're able to find ways to do stuff for free or little to no money. Right. I, I like that because uh, and then if you can do it for free, you'll do it often. Mm -hmm. and, you'll take care of yourself. And, and then again, I appreciate that because, you know, our budgets get busted and that's not self-care at all. Right, <laughs> that's, right. that's mental anxiety. Mm -hmm. so we don't need that. And, you know, within our self-care, just to recap, uh, it can take many forms. It could be physical, it could be spiritual, emotional, um, but it's important to maintain it for our health, our well-being. And it could just range from a hot soak, a shampoo to to yoga, to dancing in the rain, to whatever it is that, that works for you. Some like to prepare meals and, and uh, eat or, or, or dress or a certain choice of style. Um, there was a, a friend that uh, I noticed they posted yesterday on Instagram that they just had a dress up day out of the clear blue. They just dressed mm -hmm. up. It wasn't a Sunday. It wasn't, you know, going to church. None of that. They just want to do that for themselves. There was another friend that uh, dressed up in costume and went to a movie yeah. yesterday, which was amazing. That was her self-care. So she dressed up like the character in the movie and she took a bunch of pictures and mm -hmm. she had a great time. So we want to do things like that. We want to recognize that it's not an indulgence. It's not something that um, we got to spend a bunch of money. We can tailor it to our budget. We can make it uh, where it's a wellness, where we're feeling well inside and out and in that it could be energizing and exciting in itself so riley you've been a joy you've been my method of self-care today and i'm sure to the listeners out there they're so happy to not have to hear my voice for the whole episode thank you so much for being with us and please don't be a stranger we're planning to bring Riley back in the future for various topics. Yes. And yes. we want to keep that young perspective. We want to gain our young viewers. But you guys help us to stay young. Yes. So we need you around. Thanks so much, Riley, for being with us.
Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. As we transition to our sunflower message, we want to keep in mind that on our website, LiveLaughTalk.com, and on Twitter at LiveLaughTalker, you can donate to support our podcast. Yes, any and everything is appreciated. Also remember to rate us a five on your podcast platform and tell your friends family, and colleagues about us. And don't forget to follow so that you're updated at every release. Our sunflower message will be taken from a song by Brandy Carlisle entitled, Stay Gentle. In this song, it's a message to her children, asking them to retain their youthful gentleness, even amidst a world that may make them guarded and jaded. I found this very interesting because when I was a child, when I was 14, I couldn't wait to be 16 because I wanted to drive when I was 16. I couldn't wait to be 18 because I wanted to be able to uh, graduate high school and enter the next phase of my life. And then when I was 18, I couldn't wait to be 21. And then when I was 21, I couldn't wait to be 25 so my insurance rates would go down. Constantly rushing life away. You want to keep that childlike innocence and that uh, gentleness. So here we go with a beautiful sunflower message. Stay gentle. Stay gentle. Keep the eyes of a child. Don't harden your heart or your hands. Know to find joy in the darkness is wise. Although they will think you don't understand. Don't let the world make you callous. Be ready to laugh. No one's forgotten about us. There is light on your path. Stay gentle. Keep the eyes of a child and wear your heart on your sleeve. Know to find joy in the darkness is wise, although they will think you are naive. Don't let them lower your shoulders. Love them more while they try grow younger while you're growing older, be amazed by the sky. Darling, stay wild if you can. The girl with the world in her hand. The kingdom of heaven belongs to a boy, while his worry belongs to a man. Stay gentle. The most powerful thing you can do, oh gentle, unbreakable you. Yes, this is the son of James and Georgia Graham. Their baby boy signing off. And as you know, I can't wait to speak to you again. <laughs>